Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga from College Coach. Um, This is going to be a really fun show as my colleague Shannon Vasconcelos will be joining me for the last two segments to answer listener questions. And we've received some really good ones. But first, I'll be talking to Laura Fox. Those of you who are watching this on YouTube, um, you can see her on the screen. She's a social worker and a mother who just sent um, one of her own daughters off to college. Um, So we'll be discussing the importance of considering your students' mental health in the very stressful, competitive college process. Welcome, Laura. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. All right. So... Laura, let's just kind of dig right into this. What what do you see with your clients who are high school students regarding their mental health? Like, in other words, why is this issue important? Um, I think it's important because starting earlier and earlier, kids are getting the message that it is so hard to get into college. I think some of them really believe that they are not going to get into college. And so... Um, they're just feeling such tremendous pressure and stress um, that they're not good enough and that, you know, and that the world is so competitive. So we're seeing a lot more anxiety, a lot more depression among our youth, among our teens. And the colleges are also reporting that they're not equipped to deal with the um, mental health health issues that um, they're seeing in incoming um, classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're and I think your point is really good. Like, I'm not a therapist, but I talk to students and if they don't get into their first choice, early action or early decision, super competitive college, they suddenly want to add in a bunch of colleges and I have to really reassure them. It's OK. We plan for this. I know it's disappointing, but that's why you're applying to these other colleges, too. And then similarly, when they do get in, even if it's to a college that wasn't a first choice, but I had them apply early action. They'll say to me, I'm going to college. And I'm like, right. I always knew that you were like, that was the plan, you know, like you're, yeah. of course you're going to college, but the panic is so clear, Yes, you know, panic. and I, I have to spend so much time going, it's okay. We planned for this. Remember yeah. I talked about a plan A, plan B, plan C. We've got all those plans into effect. So, so let's, let's kind of dig into that too. Like how do parents, how can parents really help their students with this? Well, I think, you know, for parents to also understand that the plan B school on the list might be where your child will actually thrive. So, you know, while you think maybe it's your job as a parent to get them into that A, plan A, plan A plus school, Mm -hmm. sometimes for your kid's emotional well-being and then ultimate um, success in life, you know, occupationally, they're better off sometimes at their plan B school, because that's where there's a little bit more room to um, really thrive, grow, um, dig into the material and not feel as overwhelmed. So mm-hmm. I just think remembering, reminding the parents that their kid will get into college and that their kid will get, will be where they're supposed to be. 
Mm-hmm. It may so sound cliche, but I've seen it where, you know, um, a kid that I'm working with maybe went to their plan B school. And so, but at that plan B school, maybe it's not as prestigious of a school that they could have gone to, but while they're there, they're really able to connect with professors and do research and, and dig in and figure out what they're passionate about. Whereas maybe mm-hmm. at a more competitive environment, they wouldn't have had that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've actually faced situations with students where they really wanted to gun for one of these highly stressful Mm-hmm. environments. And I, I was like, look, I'm here to support you, but I, I got to let you know, I've got these concerns that the whole time you're here, you're going to be stretched yes. beyond belief and you're not going to have the space to like explore things and, and like yeah. have a social life, have a social life. Right. I didn't college should be life. social too. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, college should be challenging, but not overwhelming. And it should be a growing time socially and emotionally as well. Exactly. And some of the kids, because they're so under so much pressure in high school and they're, you know, not taking any breaks or, you know, they really don't have the coping skills um, that we want them and need them to have when they're then on their own in college. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. Can you give examples of some of the coping skills? I know you're not, you're not going to talk about your clients, nor should you, but like, what are some of the skills that you think students are missing out on in high school because they're so focused on that reach school and then they don't even have in college? Like, let's, let's kind of talk about it. I think there, there's, you know, maybe they're always so stretched and they're taking so many classes and they're just, there's no time to breathe. There's no time to just learn to regulate your emotions, learn to work through something. Everything's a crisis. So you don't um, really learn that it's okay um, to you know, work through something. And so maybe kids will start to cope using drugs and alcohol as a way to just numb themselves. Um, or it could be even just social media. And so they don't get a chance to develop other coping skills, like whether it's reading, you know, taking a walk, going to the gym, other things to chill out. They just kind of work, work, work really hard, but then they party really, really hard. And that's not always the best way to cope. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm actually, it's kind of funny because sometimes the parents I talk to are very worried about, like, I've, I've seen this mostly in boys um, who they're worried about their sons because their sons are pretty relaxed like they're getting their work done, but if they get a B, they don't panic. Um, they refuse to take every class they could. They take a kind of a balanced class. And I am and I kind of push back and say, I actually think your son's going to do really well in life because he's really got like, a, I've seen this a couple of times and they are still getting into great schools. Yeah, no, it's not MIT. Who cares? <laughs> right. That's right. Because they, you know, they find that niche. They, they connect with that professor. They're more confident. Um, Mm -hmm. in their abilities. And they're also really discovering what they're really passionate about Mm -hmm. instead of, you know, instead of the focus being on, well, what, how is this going to look on my, you know, college application, the focus becomes, do I really like this? Am I really good at this? You know, Mm -hmm. does this bring me joy? And I think sometimes kids don't really realize that that's also really what we want them to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that ability to say what they like and what they don't like is such a healthy sign. And sometimes with these students, you know, I'll say, well, for the college, for some of the colleges we've talked about, they're going to want to do they're going to want X, Y, Z. 
And they'll say, well, I don't want to do that. So I guess that's okay. Where else, where could I go where this will be fine? And I'll say, well, all these other great schools. And then they're like, okay. You know, so like that, that. that's a really healthy mindset. Mm-hmm. But a, mm-hmm. a lot of kids, you know, aren't feeling that way. And they don't think that they can have that choice and really um, figure that out. And that's when we get into, you know, where it's impacting them emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to be clear with those students. Sometimes I do. I'm just trying to think about parents listening to this. I will push them a little bit if I really think yeah. they could do a little more. Um, and most of the time they they like they find their level really well. If I say, look, you're taking another year of a foreign language would be a good idea. Do you really hate the class or, or is it just sort of not your preference? And they're like, no, it's not my preference, but I can do that. That's actually right. that's totally fine. And I'm like, great. Great. That's like, that sounds like the good mm-hmm. compromise. But then the other thing they're like, no, I really don't want to do that. I really wouldn't be happy. I'm like, all right, that's the line. Then we don't, you don't do that. You know? Right. And it's so. important for parents to support that mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. ultimately your kid will be healthier and they will, you know, take more ownership of their own future when they've made a decision like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some other, I think, techniques that are helpful that parents, I think, can really help their students out with is, if they're taking a super heavy course load, really encourage them to take a free period. You and I discussed yeah. this when we talked yesterday. So why don't you talk about some of the benefits of that? You know, honestly, just to be able to take that break and breathe, just to be able to look out the window, have a conversation with someone, um, you know, but to go from class to class to class to class and have no time to eat or breathe is just impacting them. They're exhausted. Uh, by the end of the day and just mentally spent. So I would always encourage, um, you know, adults too, right? With the adults that I work with, I will say to them, you know, you got to get up from your desk at work and go take a walk, Mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, you come back and you can be so much more creative. You know, we want these kids, you know, to be taking, they're taking these classes that are at a very high level and that are really demanding and taxing on their brains. So they need to take care of those brains by, you know, nourishing them with, you know, other aspects, you know, um, other things, and then being able to come back to the work and really delve in. Instead, Mm -hmm. we see, you know, 16, 17 year olds who are burnt out and they haven't even begun. And that's not what we want. Right. And even if I know parents are concerned about the mental health of their students now, but I also like to stress again that it doesn't it's not going to help them in college if that's how they enter college. There have been terrible stories of students who were incredibly seem to have life by the figured figured out and then they killed themselves. And it's a horrible thing to discuss. But I think that's like just the sort of the tip of the iceberg of of the sort of. Yeah, we want kids to know that there's room for error, mm-hmm. right? That there's, there's, you know, we're setting up this expectation, um, you know, maybe sophomore, junior year, that there's no room for failure. There's no room for mistakes. You need to get, you know, these very high grades and these very high marks, and you need to be involved in all these organizations. And if you don't, well, then you will not succeed. And I think it's, really important to take a step back with your yourself and your children and kind of define what really is success Mm -hmm. and really you know explain and really think for yourselves you know real you know was everything so perfect in your life right because I think in our generation we didn't see everything as such a pressure cooker and Mm -hmm. you know not everything seemed like life or death and for a lot of these kids 
they really see it that way. It's either all or nothing. Mm-hmm. And so they need to, to understand that it's okay to get a bad grade and it's okay not to be perfect and it's okay to struggle. Mm-hmm. It's okay just to be a member of the club and not the president of the club. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other thing too, that I wanted to mention that com- like you talked about, and it completely jibes with our advice actually, even about what the colleges are looking for is yeah, not needing to be a member of every single club either. Yeah. Right. P- pick a couple activities that you really care about and invest yourself into those. And I think not only do colleges like that, but I, I think, and you can let me know if my thinking is correct about this. It also allows students to really feel passionate about something. If they just pick a couple things they really care about, they're going to invest themselves because they want to. You know, um, I think that lesson is really um, less is more. And I, um, I myself, I may be a therapist, but I'm also a mom. So, um, you know, my senior um, w- this uh, summer, you know, really came to me and she said, you know what, mom, I have so much going on. I'm taking these AP classes and I really don't want to do varsity tennis. You know, and my first thought was, oh, my God, well, no, no, you have to do varsity tennis. The the colleges need to see that you did varsity tennis. It's so important. And I spoke with my college advisor who really um, said to me, no, it's it's okay." And I so I let, you know, let my daughter I I honored her desire. Um, I think she was a little surprised, too, when I said, "Okay, (laughs) you know, you don't need to do it. And, And what I really saw was she was able to delve into her AP classes and get so much out of them and really think and do that deep level thinking that was needed um, at this, you know, at this level. And she was able to really dive into some of her art classes. And we had such a more relaxing um, first, you know, quarter when she was doing her applications and she ended up getting into the school she wanted. So, you know, it didn't hurt her, but but emotionally it was so much better and she was so much less tired. Mm-hmm. I have to say, yeah, and I have to say, too, that the disappointment that I see in students who do everything that they think they're supposed to do. So they haven't lived their authentic life in high school yes. at all. I mean, yes. unfo- you know, it's not a matter of making a few compromises. Literally everything they've done has been for college and then they still don't get into their top choice. The disappointment is so profound. And yet these schools are admitting less than four percent in some cases. Right. So you're probably not getting in no matter what you do. I mean, that's the hard fact with with the most selective ones, you know. Right. So it's so so much more important to figure out, you know, what works for you and how you are the most relaxed, the most, you know, able to engage um, person that you can be. And that's what we want to be telling our kids. Mm -hmm. So I needed that little lesson. I needed that reminder um, this August when my daughter came to me. And I was so happy that my college advisor kind of set me straight. And I was able to see my daughter thrive. And had I not, you know, listened to that, I, I don't know what the semester would have been like for her. She would have mm-hmm. been very stressed out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's probably ha- going to be happier in college because she had a good final year of high school. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So any sort of last points that you wish I'd asked you about or last kind of pieces of advice that you want to give to parents? I mean, you can give it to students, too, but I think most of our audience is the parents. So, yeah, you know, I really think it's like just to remember that less is more and, you know, more isn't always better. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, and that kind of is in everything that we're doing with these kids. And, and really, like you said, Sally, to always remind them, it's okay not to be perfect, right? Mm-hmm. We're not expecting perfection. There's a college out there for everyone. There's a job, a career. Not everyone needs to take an absolute straight path. It's mm-hmm. okay to take breaks. Mm-hmm. It's okay, you know, to change your mind. You can change your mind at any time. And that's mm-hmm. okay in terms of what your major is and, you know, what you want to pursue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. One last thing I'll say to parents too, that I say to them regularly is if your child is making mistakes now, that's actually a good thing because yes. you're there to help them through it. And so the mm-hmm. first time they have a disappointment is not going to be when they're away from home, when they don't have the tools uh, to yeah, deal and with And mistakes it. are okay. We've all made mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There has to be room in our world, in our, you know, lives for our kids to make mistakes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, listen, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. You too. All right. Bye. So, so uh, we're going to take a, a break everyone. And when we come back, Shannon Vasconcelos and I will be answering listener questions. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. And uh, for the next two segments, we have Shannon Vasconcelos, and we'll be answering listener questions. Shannon is one of our um, one of our veterans here at Bright Horizons College Coach on the finance side. So um, thanks so much for coming thank on. Thank you for that nice way of saying Shannon is old. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> listeners just in case you didn't realize in case you didn't realize yeah well those of you who are actually watching this will see that i'm the one with the gray hair so anyway so i can say things like that right yeah all right shannon let's go ahead and dig in yes so the first uh question comes in from maggie um, and she wrote into our website asking, have you already done a segment on undeclared majors, the pros and cons of applying undeclared? Uh, she can't find a, a segment in the 
archives, but she would love uh, info on this topic. And I think she can't find it because I don't believe we have done a segment right. on applying is <laughs> undeclared as far as I can recall. Mm-hmm. Uh, but do you have any insight from Maggie? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, part of the reason we haven't done a segment is because it's not that complex, honestly. Um, the, the short answer is really yes, you can apply undeclared. It's not a problem. It's not going to make it harder for you to get into these colleges. And actually, if undeclared was a major, undeclared would be the biggest incoming major at most schools. Um, There's some interesting data, too. Like I actually researched into this um, because we get so many questions. And at my institutions where I worked in admissions, it was never a problem. But I thought, let's just double check. And, you know, it's it's a huge um, not only would undeclared be the biggest major, something like 50 to 80% of students end up with a different major than what they initially indicated on their Catholic college applications. And even when they officially declare the major, which doesn't usually happen until at some point in the sophomore year, it's still like another 20% who might change at that point. So it's like, it's colleges know that we think of the major indicated as like what I'm thinking about right now. <laughs> like that's right. That's, that's, that's how we take it. That being said, I'm just going to give the little proviso. If you want engineering, if you want business um, or some of these computer science, these are heavily impacted majors. And so at some schools um, may, you know, I would say even at most schools, If you don't declare it at the outset, it may be challenging to get into it later on, or in the case of engineering, maybe completely impossible, basically. So, so it is Kate, there are a few or nursing, that's another example, right? So look into, but if you're looking, if you're just kind of undecided, you're thinking kind of liberal arts, then it truly like doesn't matter at all. You can really pick whatever works for you. Yeah. And I think this is probably one of the topics that families, students to some extent, but I would actually say probably more parents stress out about that my, you know, 16, 17 year old doesn't know what they want to do with their life yet. (laughs) And based on the stats you just cited, Sally, it is 100% normal and A-OK. And it's not something to stress about. As you said, most students uh, apply undecided. And again, like you said, those who think they know (laughs) will probably change over the course of college when they get, you know, exposed to new things. And that's kind of part of the point of college. Absolutely. I can't stress that enough. I mean, like, I mean, I ended up in a history major. I thought I was going to be political science. History was not unknown to me, but you know, I tried out anthropology. I tried out other areas. I thought about doing French lit, like, you know, and that was part of the fun. And I had students who, you know, I'd have, I've had a number of students who've ended up in like, you know, one who was pre-med who ended up doing public health, you know, that's great. That's wonderful. So, yeah. So Uh, enjoy it, Maggie. Enjoy being undeclared. Exactly. (laughs) Explore. Explore. (laughs) You'll be fine. You have until middle to the end of your sophomore year in most cases. So, all right. So I have a question for you, and this is a long one. So um, first starts off with a compliment from Monique. She's been (laughs) listening to us for two years, and she says it's been instrumental in her success at coaching her daughter. So thank you so much. We love hearing that. Yeah. Please put a little review on Apple Podcasts. I'll just put in a note there. All right. So she said, we are nearing the end as we wait for her last decisions to come out this month. 
So her question is, um, my senior, so obviously this question was from about a month ago. Um, my question, my senior is now applying for outside local scholarships. I am aware that students must report any scholarships they receive to their college and that the college may, and then in parentheses, she says, most likely will reduce their financial aid and or merit award dollar for dollar. Many schools' websites say they apply outside scholarships to student self-help first, such as work-study loans and summer earnings. Um, so she says they seem to be saying that outside scholarships will not decrease the family contribution. So is she correct in her understanding that um, the only place outside scholarships are likely to decrease the parent contribution is at the state flagship where my student has received very little merit and no financial aid. Um, and what's the point of applying for a bunch of scholarships if this is the case? <laughs> was basically how she ended it. <laughs> yes, excellent question, Monique. And I, it's so long because I think Monique already understands a lot of what's going on here. And there's a lot of absolutely correct information, Monique, uh, mm -hmm. in your in your question. There is some of it that I would take a, a little bit of issue with. Um, and in fact, that last point, like, what's the point of applying for these scholarships if they're not really going to help me? I don't think that is likely to be the case. There are limited circumstances where it is, um, but in most circumstances, that is not the case. So what Monique is talking about here, and it's, it's great that Monique is even aware that this is an issue. Most families don't realize it's an issue until uh, they receive the outside scholarship and then subsequently receive a reduction in a financial aid offer. Um, the federal government does have a rule, it's in the financial aid regulations, that a student cannot be awarded total financial aid in excess of their financial need as determined when they fill out the FAFSA. Um, so, you know, if the scenario is the, let's say the, based on the FAFSA at this particular school, you have $20,000 of need. You can only receive $20,000 of need-based aid. Uh, if you then receive a $5,000 outside scholarship, the government rules say, well, we thought you needed 20,000, but now you've received 5,000 from somebody else. Now you only need 15,000 uh, and need-based financial aid will be reduced accordingly. Um, that part is out of the college's control. That is a federal regulation when it comes to need-based financial aid. Monique also references merit scholarships in her question. Uh, and that's is another part I take some issue with. Is it possible that a school will reduce the, a merit scholarship based on a scholarship you receive from an outside source? It is possible. It is not required, nor I would say is it typical. Colleges can do whatever they want with their institutional funding, including their merit scholarships. This is a much, much less common policy that a merit scholarship would be reduced. Need-based aid sometimes has to be merit scholarships, typically are not, but you do want to check the school's policy uh, because again, schools can have whatever policy they want in regards to their merit scholarships. But even with the need-based financial aid, um, in, under most scenarios, a, 
it still benefits the student to win an outside scholarship. So, you know, a few different scenarios can play out. And Monique had a long question. I'm going to give a long answer to it it because there are so many scenarios. So in in actually the scenario where she mentioned her flagship state university, where she didn't receive much financially, if you did not qualify for need-based financial aid, there's a, there's in, in most circumstances, there's nothing for a school to reduce. So um, a scenario, let's let's just make up a family that has an expected family contribution of $30,000. The expected family contributions, those are sort of the results of the FAFSA. Um, and they're, the student's going to a school that costs $30,000. The school costs 30, they're expected to contribute 30. There's zero need-based aid eligibility. In that circumstance, if the student wins outside scholarship, it just comes right off of what the family has to pay because there's no need-based aid there to reduce. So that's one scenario, certainly helps you. Uh, let's say the student's attending a more expensive school, a private school that costs $50,000 a year. Families expected to contribute 30, they have $20,000 of need. 20,000 is the most financial aid that the student can receive. But a big catch in the financial aid system is there is no guarantee that this school will actually award that student $20,000. $20,000 is the most they could give them in this scenario, but they can award them well less than that. That need is sort of a maximum. It's, it's not a minimum. So you might have $20,000 of need in this scenario, but the school has only awarded you $12,000 need-based financial aid package. And then if you win a $5,000 outside scholarship, just gets added right on top of that need-based aid package because you have unmet need there that that scholarship can go towards filling. So again, certainly helps the family in that scenario. Another scenario could be $20,000 of need and the school gives you $20,000 of financial aid, but that financial aid package totaling $20,000 consists of maybe some grant money, the free money, but also some student loans, also some work study. Uh, And typically, if so in this scenario, they have a $20,000 aid package and they win a $5,000 outside scholarship, they're over-awarded by $5,000 now. The school has to reduce the financial aid package. What most schools will do, as Monique references in her question, is reduce the self-help aid first, loans and work study. So now that family is receiving $5,000 of free money Instead of $5,000 that they have to pay back with interest or $5,000 that they have to put in hours of labor for in terms of a work-study job. So again, even though the package is reduced, it's sort of the bad stuff in the package that's reduced and it's replaced with free money. So that is a good thing for the family. Mm-hmm. The only very, very limited circumstance where it really does you no good to win these outside scholarships is where the scenario where the family has financial need the school totally meets that financial aid, financial need with a full financial aid package. And that financial aid package consists entirely of grants and scholarships, the free money, there are no loans and work study. In that very limited scenario, Monique is right that it doesn't help the family. They're replacing 
one type of free money with another type of free money and the work put into that scholarship, um, you know, did not amount to much for them. But I cannot emphasize enough how rare it is <laughs> that that happens, that the family has need, the school totally meets the need totally with grant and scholarship money, usually doesn't happen. At the very least, there's usually some uh, little bit of student loans and some work study and a financial aid package. So the vast majority of cases, it does still benefit the family to mm -hmm. win that outside scholarship. Yeah, I would think everybody would understand the benefit of getting your loans replaced. And even when it comes to work study, you can probably get a non-work study job. Yes. I mean, I exactly. had work study jobs and non-work study jobs when I was in college. And, you know, 100%. it's fine. Like, yes, it's not keeping you from working. It's just a yeah. different type of job that you need to get. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. So apply for those scholarships in yes. summary. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> that is the short answer. None yeah. of my answers are that short, but that, that's the, sh the, the long and short of it. Okay. Um, the next question came in from Claudia, who, who emailed us this question. She says, love your show. We always love to hear that. Wondering if there are any past episodes on how best to search for colleges that have strong programs um, for students with learning differences. And if not, she would love a show that would focus on that topic. And I think we can deliver for her. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we are going to be doing I think we decided when we got this question that we are going to be doing an episode because that is a really good idea. Yes. But just quickly, quickly this time, um, I wanted to say that while you're waiting for that to come through, I really recommend the K&W guide. Uh, the long title is something like the K&W guide to schools for students with learning differences, ADD, and also who are on the spectrum. You should be able to get it at any major bookstore chain. It's a huge book. And what I really like about it is that it takes just a whole bunch of colleges, I don't remember how many, and it divides them into levels of service, right? So there's kind of just the basic level required by the Americans with Disabilities Act, which can be relatively little and might not be enough for some students, although fine for most. There's the kind of a second level where they give a few more services. And then the third level where you might honestly have to do an extra payment, but you'll have like an assigned counselor that will really like kind of help you through things. Um, you know, schools like Curry College, Landmark College, um, Adelphi, Hofstra are all examples of schools that kind of go the extra mile in this way. University of Connecticut, Rutgers. So, um, so there's a lot of different options, but the K and W guide, the look that up, initial K, ampersand, W, um, and you should be able to get a ton of great information. So, awesome. all right. Well, I think it's time to take a break. Everyone will be back in just a minute. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one -on -one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. 
That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Um, And Shannon and I are going to continue to answer listener questions. Great. So the next one comes in from Andy, who submitted this question through our Facebook page. So that's just a reminder for folks listening. Reach out to us either through our website, Facebook, Instagram, or, you know, anywhere you can find us. Feel free to to shoot us a question uh, and we'll add it to our list. Mm -hmm. Um, But Andy asks, my daughter has noticed the following option on the Common App for several schools. And Andy puts it in quotes, some applicants maintain an online presence that showcases their background, talents, or creativity. If you maintain such a site, please feel free to enter the URL here. So Andy's daughter is a Redbubble seller. Would a link to her shop on that website be useful or would it be a distraction from her academic achievements? She is applying as an art major. Uh, mm-hmm. In general, what would be good and bad use of this option? Thank you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of thought it might be, I mean, I want, I want her to have some kind of a resume that highlights all of this. So one of the things I just want to be sure about is that given that she's got this kind of cool, um, this cool artwork that that's reflected. Um, And so make sure that that goes at least in the additional information area or in a resume. Um, Maybe, I don't know. It was a really, really interesting question. I I err on the side of saying, yes, go ahead and include it. Redbubble sounds like a really cool website. I'd never heard of it before, Mm -hmm. but just make sure that the context is there in the rest of the application so that they know what it is. Because otherwise what you want to do is sort of create your own website, honestly, and maybe have the link to Redbubble in there. Because if if the context isn't there and they go straight to a sales website, they might be confused. And you have to keep in mind that the reader has like, like very few minutes per file. I always flash back to myself working at University of Chicago, 11 o'clock at night, trying to finish up my files. I'm really tired and I'm not going to go down a wild goose chase, right? So just make sure the information is easily accessible is what I would say, but make sure that the proper context is there. But in general, linking to um, a website that shows the kind of things that she's doing, that sounds like a great idea. Awesome. Does it make any difference, Sally, the fact that she's a going to be an art major that this is a website that sells her art as opposed Mm -hmm. to if if she was applying as an um I don't know a history major would that be any different I mean that's a good question I think with an art major it's probably even more important to do something like this like one of the things that sort of worries me when I talk to students who say they want to be art majors but they don't really do much more than like like doodle or do some stuff on the computer 
like the fact that she's got a full business already is yeah. really cool. And I think it's mm-hmm. something that the, that the colleges are going to really like, like this is a real artist. This is a student who can, probably can't even imagine doing anything else. And I think the colleges yeah. are going to really love that. Um, if it was a history major, it would sort of depend on a variety of other factors. And I think the context would be especially important, yeah. but in general, I err on the side of saying yes, um, for sure. But just again, make sure the context is there and make sure that they're not going to have to like dig around or go to a website yeah. that doesn't take you right to the page right. of that student. So Makes sense. Perfect. Okay. All right. So from anonymous um, <laughs> on Facebook, um, my husband stopped working in October, but has gotten some income from creating an NFT project. I have no idea what NFT is, so I'm hoping that you know, (laughs) which I assume is treated like like a stock sale. So how is non-income, how is a non-income earning family treated if only income comes from, say, stocks, NFTs, but no regular income? Yeah, so I can tell you the bare minimum about what NFTs are. NFT stands for non-fungible token. And I am sure there are many podcasts which exist that talk for hours and hours about NFTs. I will say very briefly, my very limited understanding, it's basically like a digital collectible. It would be sort of discussed along with cryptocurrency, um, but it may be sort of a, a piece of art that people can buy sort of the uh, digital rights to um, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That that is the the very basic explanation of it. And I'm not going to dig myself any deeper than that. (laughs) (laughs) To get to the the heart of the question here, um, how income from creating an NFT project would be treated uh, in the financial aid application process would be treated no differently than any other income, than you know, the salary that I get for working for Bright Horizons and the money that you get for selling your NFT looked at exactly the same in the financial aid process. Income is income and the financial aid offices don't um, really draw many more, um, dig deeper really than that. They care what your income is. They don't really care for the most part where it came from. Um, There may be, you know, sort of slight complications of whether or not you're required to file a tax return based on how much income you received, um, if and, and how it's sort of shows up on a tax return, whether this is your business um, creating and selling NFTs, and then it would show up as like business income or Uh, Is it more like a stock sale? Is this somebody else's NFT that you have bought and then sold like an investment? Then it would show up as a capital gain on a tax return. Um, But either way, financial aid offices are essentially just looking at your total income in the end. If the income is minimal, so you don't even have to file a tax return, they ask for the amount of untaxed income that you received. So it really makes no difference to the financial aid process where the income came from, if it's from a salaried job or an hourly, um, you know, wages, or if it's investment income, it's really all the same to the financial aid office. Um, they try and eliminate, sort of look at folks on an even playing field. So folks that make $50,000 from NFT sales are looked at the same as folks that, that make $50,000 in wages. Makes absolutely mm-hmm. no difference to the financial aid process. Okay. 
All right. Great. And I guess I would say um, a difference from your perspective may be that this is not income you can count on in the future. Uh, If that is the case, this is that's something you can bring up on appeal to a financial aid office. If I created this one time NFT, had this one time perhaps big sale, um, or I made a a lot of money in this one year that I'm reporting on the FAFSA, but it's not going to be repeated in future years. That's a grounds for appeal where you'd write to the financial aid office and say, this is not really my typical income. Please take that into consideration. Mm -hmm. Uh, But otherwise, absolutely no difference. Okay. So the next question for you, Sally, comes in from Aparna. uh, And she asks, my daughter is doing activism work in the environment wildlife field. Her work has been covered by a lot of media houses, both national, nationally and internationally. Plus, she is an ambassador for a few global organizations. Wow. Uh, as there's a lot going on in her activities, I was wondering if having a personal website would be a good way to consolidate her work. Oh, and you just referenced this in the last <laughs> question about the art. Um, the details are really important, but in the common app, it would be difficult to showcase it. Most importantly, the extensive media coverage is hard to capture. How do admissions officers view personal websites? Mm -hmm. I mean, it depends, you know, in all honesty, I think if you, if they provide a click, like if they provide a place where you could put in the link, like they will, they will, you know, there's a decent chance that they're going to go look at it. And so I think a website is a good idea. Um, I do recommend that you curate everything carefully. Um, I would say to a certain degree, less is more. Don't put down all of her media coverage, put down the most impressive media coverage. I mean, like, I think sometimes parents are, I mean, and I want to just say Aparna sounds uh, or your daughter sounds remarkable. And so I, I want her, you know, how remarkable her accomplishments are to be highlighted. So if if what she does is sort of buried under the details, you um that's actually not as good as if you sort of really highlight, kind of do some sort of a resume, um, you know, use additional information if you don't have access to a resume to kind of highlight exactly what she's doing and then use the website to highlight some of the most impressive media coverage, et cetera. But so don't feel the need to include every single detail if there's a lot of it, because if you've got, I mean, usually I say one page, more than one page, Mm -hmm. they'll stop looking at it. And your daughter's case, maybe two. I wouldn't go farther than that. I don't care how impressive she is. You have to, again, think about the audience. Who Who is going to look at it? Are they going to look at it? Are they going to keep going when they have a billion more applications yeah. to read? And honestly, your daughter will not be the only one in their pool who is that impressive. That's the stunning thing about this. She will certainly yeah. she is certainly impressive. She will be far from the only one. Um, other options too that you might want to think about is um, you can do like a LinkedIn page as well. Um, and I recommended that to another student of mine who'd done a lot of pretty cool advocacy work, like, um, and was doing a podcast about it. So I, I had her set up a LinkedIn page as well. And I think those are kind of easy for people to find when there's like a quick Google search as well, if the college itself doesn't have, doesn't allow you to do like a live web link. So that's something else um, to think about. But definitely use the a resume if they give you that option and yeah. definitely use the additional information section of the common application first and foremost, because the colleges will definitely look at those and they will not necessarily look at a website. Mm, interesting. And it just got 
this may not be the case for Aparna's daughter, but it got my wheels turning for students who do Aparna's daughters working on environmental things. There may be, sounds like it's more advocacy than maybe straight science, but mm-hmm. very scientific, technical, impressive work. I would imagine uh, an admissions officer is going to be a lay audience. So correct me if I'm wrong. I would guess that you want wherever you're explaining this, if it's a personal website or in a resume, do we want it to be in layman's language so that the admissions officer understands it? Or is there a place for very technical things? You definitely want the lay person's language, but it's it's tricky because some colleges will actually forward interest that see, um, research that seems interesting to faculty members to see if it appeals to them. Mm. So I usually recommend like some kind of a link to an abstract or something like that. So kind of like a layperson's description, but also the scientific description so that if a faculty person gets involved, they can, you know, they can review it as well. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So, all right. I think we have room time for one more question. We'll see, see how wordy you are, Shannon. <laughs> I'll try and keep it short. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So um, Gloria asked if we have already filed the FAFSA, but need to change something in regards to income, can we still do it? This was uh, end of March that this was asked, or is it too late to do it? Thank you in advance. Yeah, so I think in my mind, a couple of things going on, but this hinges on um, what is this update? Is this a correction or is it a change? Um, And this, this is not always super clear to people. You are allowed to correct a FAFSA at any time if you left a zero off, added an extra zero into your income, you can absolutely correct that at any time. Um, And at this point, and even in March, where financial aid applications likely have already been reviewed, in addition to actually fixing the FAFSA, I would shoot an email to the financial aid office to call their attention to this um, correction and ask them to re-review your file. Um, What you are not allowed to do on the FAFSA is update information um, based on a change in circumstance. If you said my income, you initially reported your income from the year that they asked you to, but now you've lost your job. So you want to go into the FAFSA and write zero for income. You are not allowed to update information that was correct at the time of reporting, or you reported you had $10,000 in the bank and you just went and bought a new car. So now you have zero. If at the time you submitted the FAFSA, it was 10,000, you need to leave that information on the FAFSA. You're not allowed to change it. What you can do when you've had a change in circumstances is write the financial aid office directly, uh, ask them to consider your change in circumstances, explain what happened, uh, document anything you need to. Um, But those type of updates you don't make directly on the FAFSA. You have to go to the financial aid office and ask for permission, ask them to update the information and re-review your uh, financial aid offer as opposed to corrections you can make directly. All right. Thank you so much, Shannon. You are so welcome, Sally. All right. So um, be sure to listen in next week because we'll be addressing whether and when you should hire an independent college counselor like we have here at College Coach. 
Um, obviously, I do think there are times when it is very good to hire someone like me. Um, and then also we'll be talking about pride, um, scholarships for LGBTQ students for Pride Month. So definitely listen in. And finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website. You can find us on YouTube. You can download every show for free on iTunes. And don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.